I listened intently as Kyle was praying because the classroom next to us, Cody and Stephen Ramsey, uh, asked if it asked me last week, "Is that yours? The class that sings uh, the doxology before we start? Because next week we're going to do booster, booster, be a rooster, if, <laughs> right? <clears throat> because you disturb us every week. So anyway." Um, I want I I, I can't help uh, but I, I was drawn back to Stephen's speech. I think one of the one of the most profound uh, things that happened in all the Book of Acts is Stephen's speech, and I was drawn back to that this week because in 7:44 he quotes the Exodus passage that we're going to be looking at in just a second, um, and I just happened to start reading a little bit and. It, I, I ran upon that section there in chapter 6 where it just talks about the fact that Stephen... Now, you're, <clears throat> I believe that Stephen was training to be a priest and or uh, someone, uh, 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 someone high in, uh, in uh, leadership in Judaism, much like Paul. Paul was probably training to be the high priest. Uh, who knows? But uh, these guys were steeped in what they had, and they had converted to Jesus. And so as a result of converting to Jesus, the line in Acts says, and Stephen continually spoke against Hamakim, our place, the temple. He continually spoke against it, and he also said that Moses, the customs of Moses are going to change. It's all going to change. And I just couldn't help but get that off my heart this week because that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. It's all going to change. With the coming of Melchizedek, um, just to summarize chapter 7, just to summarize, summarize chapter 7, I know you can't read this. It's, it's intended to be hieroglyphics. Um, the, this the, is the ironic priesthood, and, and let's just say, this is Jesus. So, the erotic priest had to offer sacrifice. This is found in chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. If you want to look at this, this is what it says. It might not say it like I'm going to say it, but that's what it says. The erotic priest had to offer sacrifices for their own sins before they could ever sacrifice for, for the people. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. The erotic priest had an earthly ministry. Jesus, quote Hebrews, has passed through the heavens and entered straight into the tabernacle, straight into the holy place of God. He's sitting at the throne room of God. So he has a heavenly ministry. The Aaronic priests had to offer daily sacrifices. Jesus offered one sacrifice for all time. They were appointed priests by ancestry. You had to prove that you were from the ancestry of Levi. Jesus was commissioned by God with a divine oath. How many people were in first service? Every time you hear the Akita read, I want you to hear when it says, I swear, when God says, I swear, divine oath, that is an unconditional promise. We don't have to do anything, nothing. He's going to do it all. That's how he became priest. He was, he was by divine oath. And these priests were never perfect. And they could never lead people to perfection. But Jesus can lead people to perfection. So this is for Hilton. This is my mathematical equation. If Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, then um, Abraham is greater than Levi because 
Levi is literally still in Abraham's loins. This is to quote Hebrews. Therefore, Melchizedek is greater than Levi. That's the summary. Okay? And if you do this... <laughs> this does sound like Caleb, doesn't it? And Jesus is greater than all. That's chapter 7 in a nutshell. Now we're going to move to covenant. So let's take a look at covenant. Uh, turn with me to Exodus. Well, you know, we're not going to have time to do all the turning. By the way, if anybody, we have to show our house today at 2 o'clock. So at 2, if anybody wants to come over, I've got a three-hour seminar on covenant today that I can do. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to condense it in 45 minutes, so it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Anyway. Let me just tell you about Exodus 24. Um, Exodus 24 is where Moses, it's one of the strangest passages in all the Old Testament. It's where Moses, I love these chairs. It's where Moses um, is called up. He calls up the 70 elders, Aaron and his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they go up to the top of the mountain. Now remember what had happened. They've just come out of Egypt and they've come to the base of Mount Sinai and they put up these barriers at the base of Mount Sinai. The reason for that is what? Does anybody know? For protection from what? Says who? God said, if you touch the mountain, you die. Would God kill them? No. The people were to kill their own people. This is teaching them what holiness is all about. Then in the midst of that, God says, Hey Moses, uh, get Aaron and uh, his sons and bring the 70 elders up and come up to the top of the mountain. Whoa. Isn't it also to, you know, he's been unfolding this idea of separation. Exactly. Since the garden. They put out, but yet he didn't cut them totally off. Okay. He dealt with the fathers, the, the, the patriarchs. But suddenly now, with this new covenant, he's going to give Moses. They're separated. They have barriers. They have That's to right. go through these priests. They have to go through mediators. They, so this is a different, he's, he's, he's slamming this new mindset in all, sort of all It's a teaching. He's teaching them what it means to be holiness. You can't stand in the midst of holiness. So he calls these guys up to the top of the mountain. And when he gets up there, and I don't understand this. This is weird. When he gets up there, if you look up 24 and 7 through, say, 18, um, if you read that, they literally have an opportunity. They're invited to see God. Well, nobody can see God and live. That's just a special dispensation that they had. They were able to see God and live. And then he calls Moses over in a separate deal. And it says, after six days. So, I mean, Moses is playing survivor on top of the mountain, okay? And after six days, God calls him in and says, Moses, I want to show you what I want you to build. I want you to build this tabernacle for me. And it needs to look like this. Now, I don't know what he saw. I don't know if it was through a veiled curtain or what. But my idea is is that God showed him the actual throne room of God. He got to see it. And then what he was supposed to do is go back down the mountain, get builders, and recreate it. Could he ever create what he saw? No. He could only create a shadow of what he saw. This is where we start this shadow and substance thing. 
the tabernacle was a great thing. It was, it was beautiful. And, I'm, you know, he starts there in, in 24 of Exodus. And he goes through chapter 40, and then he takes it up in Leviticus. He takes it up in Numbers. He takes it up in Deuteronomy. If you count it, if, you're, if you look at God's editorial policy, he spends 50 chapters in the Bible, 50 chapters, telling us how to make the tabernacle, what kind of clothes the priests are supposed to wear, how to act, how to do this, how to do that. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing that he would spend that much time uh, on all this. Um, let's, turn, let's look at Hebrews uh, just for a second. Go to, go to Hebrews chapter 8. I've got to get my glasses on. No telling where I am on my notes by now. <clears throat> Hebrews 8. Starting 26, such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. The point of what we're saying, I'm at Hebrews 7.26 and then 7.26 going to 8.1. You can't read, here's, here's the point. When he says, we do have such a high, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You, you need to keep up with me. No. We got a lot to do. Uh, just come back at two o'clock. It'll be good. Um, we, the point is, when he says we do have such a high priest, that's in response to twenty verse twenty six. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. The point of what I'm saying is this: we do have a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord. What you've had in Exodus, what you've had all along, has been just a shadow. Jesus has gone through the veil. He is sitting at the right hand of God in the true sanctuary. That's what he's saying. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. He offered himself. If he were here on earth, he would not be a priest because he doesn't fit the ancestry deal. For there, there are already men who have gifts offered prescribed by the Torah. They serve at the sanctuary that is a sketch, a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. You know, so Jesus is in the true tabernacle. Many of you know that I love John. And uh, in John 1, um, in John 1, John calls Jesus the true light. There was a light, light coming, and he is the true light. When uh, in, in John 6, when he's about to uh, uh, do the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, call, John calls him the true bread. Jesus says, Ego ami, I am the true bread that comes from heaven. Moses gave you that manna stuff. I'm giving you the real thing. And in 15, 1 and 2, he calls him the true vine. The vine is symbolic of Israel, but I am the true vine. So he's in a true tabernacle, true vine. Here's the point. Um, well, what is the point? Here's, here's the point. The Old Testament was, uh, the Old Temple, that was a good thing. I'm talking to you. The Old Temple was a good thing. Jesus is in a better place. The Mosaic Covenant, that was good. 
we get a new covenant with better promises sworn by an oath. Uh, let, let me say it like this. And I, Tim Keller gave me this. Um, he's a pastor of the Redeemer Church in Manhattan. And this is what he says about this. In the Old Testament, uh, 50 chapters. 50 chapters to tell us how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do to achieve holiness. We do have a mediator. Have a, have a mediator there on earth. And that's just to get us before the throne of God. Then we get to the New Testament. Do you find it strange that there's nowhere in the New Testament it tells us what our buildings are supposed to look like? Remember how, how much time he spent? Exact, what, what color it's supposed to be? Where are the po little pomegranate deals that he spent three chapters on? There's none of that. What our priests are supposed to wear? I mean, Josh, we know, would be totally out of skew with what we're supposed to wear. It just, that's none of that. Why is that? It's because the Old Testament was um, more of a come and see religion. Come and see. Be amazed. Learn who God is. But the Old Testament is a shadow of what the New Testament is, where he writes it on our heart. It's different. It doesn't, you know, we get the New Testament, it doesn't tell us how we're supposed to worship. As a matter of fact, when the people meet in homes on Sundays, nowhere in the New Testament does it ever call that worship. Worship is supposed to happen 24-7, 365. That's our worship. Okay, so let's keep going. The better is arrived. Um, in chapters 3, in, in the he, book of Hebrews is really really trapped by three passages in the Old Testament. Um, Psalm 95 in chapters 3 and 4. Um, Psalm 110 in chapters 5 through 8, 6. We're getting ready to leave Psalm 110. Um, and then we're going to get ready to start and take up Jeremiah 31. Um, that's chapter 8. So a little bit how my mind works. Um, Psalm 110, a divine oracle of Yahweh to my Lord, from, to David's Lord. Chap verse 4 of, chap of 110 says, uh, you, He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I've been trying to figure out how, how to convey what I know to be true, how to convey it to you. And it hit me in Green Hills on Tuesday morning at the red light because I have this little voice. I, I was a youth minister for a lot of years and that will just mess you up. Um, and I, I have this little voice that I, w I, was, I was playing in my mind, reading Psalm 110, I was quoting Psalm 10. All of a sudden this little voice in my head goes, Mr. Wiltshire, um, why, if we're studying to be priests, pretend you're all studying to be priests. And, and the lecturer comes in, he starts reading Psalm 110, he says, let's read. And you get to verse 4, and he says, we're going to uh, we're going to raise up a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Mr. Wiltshire, why would he not raise up a priest after the order of Aaron? That's the question, isn't it? We're all studying to be priests. Well, I want to be. I want to study to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after. Aaron. No, we're all studying after Aaron. We've all confirmed our ancestry. We're in. 
We're studying and we're going to be a priest after the order. Since the time of David, a thousand years before Jesus, on a little cow pasture outside of Judea, where he's, where he's got his sheep going, he comes up with this, however he came up with divine revelation or whatever. From that point in time on, everybody knew this, there's going to be a new gig. And that's what, that's what we're going to talk about. The, uh, we have the Abrahamic covenant, which was given to Abraham. That's Genesis 22 or something like that. That's the Akita. After the Akita, he says, I mean, he did the Abrahamic covenant about five times. But after the Akita, after Abraham said, I'm willing to kill my son. Hebrews 11 will tell us later that he, Abraham thought in his mind that God had the power to resurrect him. That's the only reason he did it. Unless you think this is a... How many of you have talked to people where uh, what kind of a God would require you to kill? kill that's, that's, that's terrible, okay? So the Abrahamic covenant. Then we go to Mount Sinai and we have the Mosaic covenant. That's Exodus 24. And that, that was established by Moses. That's the giving of the Ten Commandments. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow the Mosaic Covenant. These people that he's writing to are defending the Mosaic Covenant. Let, did anybody ever think the Mosaic Covenant was a good thing? Does anybody know? If you go to Deuteronomy, and I'm not going to take you there, I'm just going to tell you, there never was a lot of hope in the Mosaic Covenant. In Deuteronomy 4, uh, 25 through 31, it says, Israel is going to sin. You're going to break it. We know you're going to break it. In Deuteronomy 28, it lists the first 14 verses of chapter 28 are telling us about the blessings if you keep the Mosaic Covenant. First 14 verses. Then verse 15 through verse 68 tell you about the cursings. It's because you can't keep it. In Deuteronomy 29, after 40 years wandering the wilderness, Moses says, you still don't have a heart for God. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses prays that the people will become circumcised in their hearts, that they will develop a heart for God because they don't have a heart for God. Um, in Joshua 24, let's read Joshua 24. Just take a look at Joshua just for a second. Look at, just look at, uh, look at verse 19 of Joshua 24. Then Joshua, who took over after Moses, said to the people, You will not be able to serve God, for He is a holy God, He's a jealous God, and He will not forgive your sins. And you're going to keep sinning. That's the point. So the Mosaic law did not really have any hope. Turn to Galatians 3. Yes, I'm teaching Hebrews. Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 15. And everybody just go through this and see if it makes sense. 